Jeremy Peak. I asked these two boys if I could do this introduction. So listen up. Stay tuned. Yep, there are 52 GN podcasts these days, but the one called Cattle Pros, the one you're about to hear, will tackle one of the two most emotional political social issues we have today. Upfront and honest, courageous even. Yes, these two young men are well-known and respected in the livestock world, especially cattle. Jake Scott with Krebs Angus Ranch in Nebraska, one of the largest Angus ranches in the world. And Brandon Callis, who is from Texas, living in El Reno, Oklahoma now. Both young men are nationally known livestock judges, especially cattle judges. Jake, the way they look, Jake's taller and thinner. Brandon, he's short and kind of thick. Jake's kind of got an angular face with a long nose, and Brandon's kind of got a round, soft, pudgy face with a short nose. Looks like God put it on there as an afterthought. Brandon was raised just outside the metropolitan area of Houston, Texas. Jake was raised just outside Nycut, Oklahoma, population 13. Jake couldn't spell livestock judging when he got out of high school. Brandon did it his whole life. His dad did it. But the major difference in these guys, I have avoided. See, sometimes it's controversial. Jake's white. Brandon's black. It's something that's really been in the forefront of our nation. And especially now, their major difference has become sometimes a chasm greater than the Grand Canyon. Now listen, these guys are friends, both judge together. They trust each other. They both are strong and have personal courage. So unless you're too afraid to listen to this podcast for some real answers to life, you will come out of it in a few minutes a better person. Well, Brandon Callis, first of all, thank you so much for coming on today's episode of Cattle Pros. It's an honor to talk with you, man. Um, Watched you come up from the time you were in junior college to now and followed your career and your your path, and it's been an exciting rise, and congratulations on all of your success. And we just really appreciate you taking time to be with us today. Well, thank you. It's uh, definitely a blessing to get to reach out and do that on you from afar, just with Blake Nelson as an assistant coach at Connors. We got to hear lots of good Jake Scott stories, so. Keep them to yourself, please. We're trying to work on that. <laughs> there is a lot of good stories, and it's it's funny how many people came through that little school at Connors, and that's part of your your background. For those of you who don't know Brandon as well, uh, Brandon Callis um, came up through the program at Connors. Um, he graduated from Texas A&M University, and from there he went on to write a pretty impressive resume. Uh, of course, was on... Um, livestock judging teams like so many of us, but he was a member of a national champion livestock judging team. And as impressive as that is, since then he has gone on to coach two national champion livestock judging teams as well and uh, has also been named two times now the National Junior College Coach of the Year and uh, served for several years as the livestock judging uh, team coach for Redlands Community College where you work there in Oklahoma. But now, Brandon, uh, you are the coordinator of competitive ag teams for Redlands. Is that right? That's correct. Tell us a little bit about that. What do you guys got going on at Redlands? So, so basically, uh, we decided to to enhance our program. It's tough being a, the only judging coach there, uh, just with the uh-huh. strenuous travel activity, trying to develop freshmen, trying to bring sophomores along. And so got the okay to hire somebody. And I hired a young, talented guy, Spencer Scotton, and, and he more so 
runs the road with the judging team. I provide a little oversight, uh, more so play an assistant coach role if I have to. And then we also brought back our, our beef cattle show team. So we primarily show Angus, our, our herd manager, Ed Zwiecker, loves to run Angus cattle. And so that's kind of what we play around with now. So I get to provide oversight basically for both programs and then teach a little bit. You're speaking my language, man. I didn't realize you guys had gotten in the Angus business. That's awesome. Yep. Well, I look forward to seeing some of those as you guys are promoting them around. And uh, I know you probably uh, still have a crazy busy schedule, but I can't imagine because you're a family man also, a son and two daughters, it's got to be great having a little more time at home and coming off the road because that's a hectic schedule being a livestock judging coach. I mean, tons of time commitment. Your weekends are pretty well committed, so I'm sure you're enjoying that. Yeah, that was my main motivation for trying to to revamp. Uh, just they're getting to that age where they're getting more involved in sports and showing. And mm. We've got around 80 cows now ourselves, and just my wife was, was doing almost everything by herself. So I told her it was time for her to quit looking like a single mom and, and me kind of be there and, and pull some weight. Good for you, and thank goodness for the mamas we have in our lives because they yeah. carry, the, carry the water in a lot of situations. What sports are the kids playing? Uh, Brayton likes football, uh, loves basketball, but he's, he's a big football fan as well. And Kylie plays basketball, and we don't know what Camry's going to do yet. But she's our left-hander, so we'll see. Oh, she's a lefty. That'll be cool to see what happens. My brother's a lefty. Yeah. So I know that you do a ton of judging outside of uh, livestock teams, too. I mean, you get in the ring and serve as judge for a lot of different cattle shows and other species as well. And and have had uh, just a ton of opportunities there, uh, countless national shows, even international shows. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. I've been very, very, very fortunate. I, I tell people that I'll always go down and consider myself the most blessed person in the world to do what I get to do and, and live the life I get to live. And Yeah, been to Brazil, been to Canada, uh, several states within the U.S. It's, it's been a fun ride. I like to ask this question when we talk to people who judge a lot of shows. Do you have a favorite kind of show to judge? In other words, do you like the jackpots? Do you like the big steer shows? Or do you would you rather judge a purebred show or like a junior nationals? Is there a favorite? I, I have morphed and then come back. You know, okay, so tell like, us about when that. I was, when I was younger, uh, because I was a, mostly a market animal show kid, you, you could not make a better show been a market animal show for me in any uh -huh. species. I was, I was a nut for it. And then I actually did my master's at K-State and got to working for Dr. Shockey. Uh -huh. My wife grew up showing uh, Simmentals. And okay. I, fell in love with I fell in love with breeding cattle uh, when I was there and got the opportunity to judge a lot of breeding cattle shows. And then it became the, the quest of you couldn't put a good enough bread in front of me. Like I, I wanted to find her, wanted to go see her. And, and here lately, as we've started showing again, uh, I've gotten to do Denver Steer Show and in Kansas City Steer Show, I think, cemented it again for me that, uh, boy, there's nothing like a market steer show. Fat steer show out there, and just to see the end point like that, it's, it's not much like it. So you kind of love it all, in other words. Yep. Yeah, I do. And I've been lucky enough to, to see some of your cattle come through the ring and get to judge your kiddos a little bit, and I know you guys are... You're showing some good Simmental cattle of your own now. Is that kind of the breed you're going to have the kids involved with? Yeah, that, that's the one we're the most comfortable with. That's the one I've, I've done the most research on yeah. uh, all through the years and, and try to get involved with. And so, yeah, we, we like them pretty well. Well, saddle up, cowboy. I mean, that is deep, deep water. I was um, I didn't get to go to their junior nationals this year. Um, but, my goodness, when you look at the pictures of those semis that end up in the top, and don't they pick the top 20 at their junior nationals? 
Yeah, they do. Oh my gosh, what a twenty that is! I mean, that's uh, that's a very very competitive breed. It's pretty fun cattle to see. Yeah, it's uh, the leaps and bounds and growth we've made just in the last 10, 15 years I've been around them. It's it's been amazing. Yeah, They're good cattle. Well, look, you've been on a lot of other podcasts and you've talked about cattle. You've talked about your career. You've talked about the judging. Today we're going to veer away from that and we're going to talk about maybe a little deeper and some people might say a more controversial type of topic, but it is one that is front and center of about everything we read and listen to today. And Brandon, that's the topic of racism and discrimination um, in America today. And we wanted to reach out to you, and I can't thank you enough for being willing to come on here and talk about this, but I wanted a first-hand conversation with a black man about what it's like to be a black man in America and a black man in ag. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, folks. And to set the stage for you about our conversation today, and it's a tough topic, and, and we're going we're gonna to get through it and be very straightforward with one another and very honest with one another, but we want to share this conversation with you because I really feel like it's a conversation a lot of people in America wish they could sit down and have with their friends of different races. And to do that, Brandon, I want to hear about your perspective and how you see things and hear things and view things. But I also want you to understand the same about me. And so let me set the table a little bit by, on a tough topic, sharing with you my perspective. Um, first of all, just to make it clear for everyone listening, I'm a white guy and you're a black guy. <laughs> That's just a, this is our basic starting place, and that's, that's where we're going to have this conversation from. But again, from my perspective, I learned a cool definition when I was in college, I think, in psychology class, and it's the difference between two words, sympathy and empathy. So roughly defined, sympathy is, I imagine what it, someone else must feel like. So if someone gets their hand bit by a dog, I think, darn, I bet that hurts. It really looks like it's swelling up and it's cut. And I try and imagine what that feels like. Empathy is, I got my hand bit by a dog and I know exactly what it feels like. One thing I would talk about here is that I really can't empathize with what it means or feels like to be a black guy in America. And vice versa, obviously, I mean, you can't feel exactly what I feel as a white guy. But one thing that could be so cool today is to just have a conversation and maybe bridge that gap a little bit with one another and help understand some of both the differences and the similarities in our lives. So are we on the same page? Yeah, yeah. I guess the way I see it is, you know, God didn't design you or I uh, to walk in each other's shoes, but we can learn from each other and ask the right kind of questions just to get to know each other better and in different points of views better, for sure. Yeah, I love the way that you said that. And that's that brings me to my second point, because I believe, and to give you a, 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 a perspective of my, my faith, I'm a Christian, so I believe that as a Christian, you and I both come technically from the exact same biological parents, originally Adam and Eve. And if you want to get technical after the flood, Noah restarted the human race. And so, you know, at a scientific level, I guess, I believe that you, Brandon, and I, Jake, share the exact same DNA. 
We share the same color of blood, and the only difference is our skin color, really. Um, but even though I believe that, Brandon, I want to ask you, how would the average black person feel about that statement? That's hard to answer. Uh, just uh, I, can, I can answer from me and, and my perspective and, and maybe some of my family, but, you know, we, I've always been taught he died for all. And so Jesus dying for all, I, I'm on the same agreement with you that we all share the same blood. It all runs red. And, and, and so for me, yes, our, our differences may be how we grew up, what we're involved in. But at the end of the day, core value, core meaning is we're related in some type of way. You know, we, we all started from the same point. If you ask me, just, yeah, my skin's a little darker than yours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thirdly, uh, the point I want to make is that it's an acknowledgement that sadly in our country's history, uh, the fact is that minorities have been treated poorly and sometimes terribly, Brandon. And, and the number one thing that would come to mind when you talk about that is slavery in America. It's an ugly stain on our nation's history, but I believe it's a part of our history and we, we can't erase it, nor should we. I think we should learn from it so that we would never repeat that mistake. And um, when you think of slavery, you think the mistreatment of, of black people in America, but there were certainly others. Um, Native Americans, the Indians, um, were treated very badly at a time in their life in the country, and, and other uh, immigrants that came to America, the Irish and the Italian immigrants, you can hear a lot of stories about uh, those folks had an awfully, awfully tough time getting a foothold here in America, and so on, and I know there's more, but I also believe that we have made big progress. Um, we had a terrible war called the Civil War to end slavery bloodiest war in our nation's history. We lost more Americans there than we have lost in every other war than we fought since. So there was skin in the game on everybody's part. There was people of all colors and races that fought in that war and with a common goal to end that slavery. And it happened. Uh, 13th Amendment, if you follow the Constitution, was added to our Constitution. It abolished slavery. Um, since then, more progress has been made, and rightfully so. Um, one that comes to mind is, to me, the civil, uh, civil rights movement. And in the 50s, the story about Rosa Parks, how she kept her seat on the bus. She began that movement, and it ended the ridiculous Jim Crow laws. It brought about civil rights acts and voting rights and much, much more. So, again, just in a nutshell, from my perspective, you know, I want to recognize that our country has made mistakes but I also believe that we've admitted those mistakes and have made some real changes in you know the 150 years since. But I believe, Brandon, that there is always room for improvement, and I want to keep moving in the right direction. And um, I'm so thankful we've made those those changes because look at the contributions Black people have made to our country since then. And and I was just sitting here writing some of this down. Really, in every walk of life, from politics to business to sports, some of the heroes of those fields are black folks. I mean, Michael Jordan, you know, sports superstar, Condoleezza Rice, Secretary of State, Herman Cain, who just passed away recently, but a monster in business and a top CEO. And then the first guy, and he's now in our, in our government, but the first guy to ever separate conjoined, and conjoined twins was Dr. Ben Carson, just a world-renowned neurosurgeon. And I, I think that's phenomenal. And I don't want to leave out, by the way, Mr. Brandon Callis, the first mega-successful uh, black collegiate livestock judge. So 
I'm doing a lot of talking here, but I just want to get my part out of the way so that we can hear from you. That's my position today as a white guy. And Brandon, I would love to just dive into your perspective now and again invite you to be completely open and honest with me and um, and learn more about how you see things. Because there's a, there's a saying, you don't know what you don't know. And, and this is my goal is for 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 this podcast to really be educational for me and for other people. So the first question I'm going to ask you about your perspective of things is a real straightforward one. When I describe your race, Brandon, am I using the correct terminology when I refer to you as a black guy? Or, you know, should it be African-American? Or is there something else? Am I even using the correct terminology? I, I would say... Um... That depends on how technical somebody wants to be. Because um, the way I see it, I'm black. The way I see it, I'm of African-American heritage. When they send out a census or send out some type of form on a government level to fill in, I, I check African-American. Uh, but yet, we walk around each other. I've always been known as black. And so I'm not one of those ones that that matters or, or doesn't bug me. Uh, as long as it's not derogatory in any way, I'll, I'll usually pretty much answer. Uh, and, and so, and I know I'm, I'm a little, not to play on words, I have a pun, but I'm probably sometimes a minority in, in that take on things. And that, that does not bother me uh, as a black person or African-American, what the terminology may be. I answer the both. I am both. But that's respectful to you for me to say, you know, Brand, this is Brandon Callis, and if I'm describing your race, you're a black guy. That's a respectful way to describe it. You know, yeah, and, and I think I think sometimes it's become um, people have spun it and used it um, in a way, at least, you know, calling somebody a black man or black this, black that. We've almost used it in such a negative of a mm -hmm. uh, associated with negative things that sometimes people get offended by it. Mm -hmm. I don't personally. Um, in, in African American, you know, that's it. it explains it's me. It's very descriptive. Mm -hmm. It's an American of African her uh, heritage. So mm -hmm. uh, again, yeah, I, I see that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I want to talk about the opportunities um, that you've had as a black man in this country. And my question is, Brandon, do you feel like you've had less opportunity or perhaps more opportunity, if we're going to be honest, because of the color of your skin? Or is it neither? Have the opportunities you know, available to you, have they been just the same as anyone else of any other race? I think the opportunities have been the same. Um, I would say the difference is the field that, that the good Lord put me in in, in the, the, the trail that I've tried to blaze, I'm, I'm uncommon. Mm -hmm. And so me being uncommon, sometimes it's unexpected, I guess, if you will. Um, you know, young black kid walks into a, a collegiate reasons room. And if we're just being honest, there's just not a lot. Uh, my, my dad judged competitively. Uh, he was in a top five at, at Houston back in college. Uh, he went to Louisville and placed in a couple of divisions. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and, and he judged for Tarleton there. Um, but it was one of those deals of between him and I, there just weren't many at all, uh, especially on a level to where you could comparably be, could be compared to the best out there. And so I walk into a room, and I, I, I guess I saw it as an advantage because you weren't expecting me to sound like I sounded 
and say what I said. Now, whether that's uh, positive or negative, to me, the truth of it, the, the, the real identity of it is just it was not normal and it wasn't expected. And so to me, I could leave a reasons room in a person go, man, that was really good. My goal was to leave that reasons room for the next thing out of their mouth, not to be for a black person, but just to be, boy, that was really good. Um, and, and so those opportunities to get back to that question of, I think our opportunities really are the same as the way I've grown up. Uh, I've had the same, I've, I've never felt neglected. I've never felt passed over. I've never felt like my race hindered me in any way. Uh, um, in fact, just to show you my mindset and drove my mom crazy because it's free money, but I never would apply for a scholarship that was for blacks only. Um, for me, I wanted to earn that scholarship on my merits, on my effort, on my end results, not because of my skin color. Uh, so I never would apply for those, even though those were out there. Now, looking back, I probably just should have done it. I'd have I'd have a lot less college debt. I <laughs> got through college a little more financially feasible. But for me, my own morals, my heart, I just I couldn't do it because that was segregating. And I, I I've always been against that that uh, of differentiating somebody or, or preferring somebody over race, whether it was for me or against me. Um, and so I think our opportunities were the same. It's just the effect when I would walk out of a room or when I would judge a show or do something, you're not expecting it. And so for a minute, you're kind of like, okay, let me process this for a minute. And then it's, it's cool and it's fine. But that's almost, and forgive my sense of humor here, I almost chuckle when I imagine that you walking into a room because from what I hear from you, it did invoke a response or a reaction of some sort. Because let's face it, it's you were competing in what is mostly a, a, a sport or a, a now a profession that's dominated by white people. Yep. And we'll get into that a little more in the podcast. But that's interesting that you could feel and and um, sense the reaction sometimes or the response that people had. You said something, and I'm going to back up because I hope everybody heard it. I wrote it down. You tell me if I wrote it down wrong. I think this is pretty powerful. You said that when you went into a reasons room, your goal was for that reasons taker when you walked out to say, that was really good, period, not that was really good for a black person. Is that how you said that? Yeah. Yeah, that, yep, that's the gist of it for sure. That's a pretty incredible statement. Um, I have to think that that's an awfully mature statement for somebody in college. Will you unpack that a little bit? How did you arrive at that? Um, is that something that you just had had from a kid, or as you went through the process of judging, did that kind of evolve? Well, as I as I was growing up, um, my dad was a county agent, and, and, and a very, very good one. I know I'm biased, but I think if you ask a lot of people there south of Red River, they agree that he could be in a Hall of Fame if he just wrote up county agents. And this and was in Texas, several, correct? Yeah, this was in Texas. Uh-huh. And there were several other black act teachers or county agents as well, but not to brag on him. To me, he always he always seemed to find a position or find a level that ran with no matter who was there. And, and, and I think it stems back to, you know, uh, probably in an earlier era, the 
70s, maybe the early 80s, uh, maybe more things were forced. You know, we get the affirmative action and things like that. And to me, what that did was say, hey, you've got to hire this black person or this minority or this woman. Well, that puts that much more pressure on them to perform Mm. to where the rest of the workplace or the rest of the people around don't look at them in a negative way like they were just given something. And so my dad never said it, but by his actions, I always saw that, okay, don't just do something just to be the best of your age, of your gender. Do it for the love of it. Do it through God's blessing, but do it because you want to be the best, period. Uh, And so I, I picked that up from him early on, and that's how I always operated. Uh, I never wanted to be just the best black at anything. I wanted to be the best, period. Oh, by the way, I happen to be a black guy. Oh, by the way, yep. I love that, and I've never thought about that from your dad's perspective of some things like affirmative action, because I certainly could see, I mean, if I put myself in his shoes, I could certainly see how I would feel like that, that you would be looked at as someone who's there uh, just because almost they had to be there, you know, we had to hire uh, uh, a minority race, a black person or something. And I could see where that would be a difficult or awkward position to be in. Have you ever felt that in your career? I really haven't. And, and I think my generation where I'm at age wise, we were right on that line of, I think, and it showed the progress for me personally, our country was kind of coming out of that. To where, okay, uh, yeah, that, that might have been needed back in the late 70s to get a foot in the door mm-hmm. to establish something that was a little more equal and equality. Mm-hmm. Um, but now we've recognized the talent, no matter what your color or race is, let's now get past that. Now, no, there was no government regulation. There was nobody out there saying, hey, let's table this and put it away. I just thought naturally as a country, we got to that point where it didn't matter anymore. Mm -hmm. We finally respected each other's talents and each other's abilities and let the best man or woman win. Not to say it didn't happen somewhere along the way. It's just, I never saw it. It never happened to me. Uh, I I never felt like I was forced into anything because because of my race. And if I was, I probably didn't see it and thought it was on my own laurels anyway. And and, and if it was, I was going to prove to you that you made the right choice. Brandon, the fact is, that's how I feel too. I feel, I sense that same kind of growth in, I guess the term is race relations, but um, in legitimate, honest struggles that black people have had and legitimate discrimination that they've experienced, I feel like our country's made progress and, and our society's made progress and it's, it's refreshing for me to hear that, too. And honestly, that's one thing I love about this conversation because I feel like I'm getting the real story versus what so many of us have to make this decision on is just information that we read in a newspaper or on uh, uh, our phone or on television. And I don't trust that information. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Oh, for sure. And so this is, this is really, really good. Um, you talked about your parents. And... If you don't mind, I'd like to ask if they have shared some of their experiences uh, with you. So I assume that your mom and dad are of the age that they would have lived through and can remember like the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s. Is that true? Yeah, I I tell you what, the the more I dive into my family history, the more interested I become because I'll digress a little because I think 
I need to establish just a little background to just kind of set up. Please and, you do. Know, be more of an insight of kind of why I operate the way I operate. But so my mom and dad, they're, they're, they're in their mid fifties. Um, they come, um, actually they might be in the sixties now. Oops. <laughs> they, <laughs> Sorry, they, mom and dad. <laughs> they, they came in a, um, in a, it, they, they were raised differently. Both obviously black folks, Southern Texas, uh, my mom's family kind of came over with the, the first 300 families in the Texas, right there where Stephen F. Austin settled, the first capital of Texas. That's where my mom's home place is, San wow. Felipe, Texas. Really? Um, and then my dad, uh, same era in time. But as my mom's family came over as more or less slaves, my dad's family came over as indentured servants. Um, they were landowners. Mm-hmm. Almost from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And the, the Colonel Carr, uh, I think he was a Frenchman from Louisiana, that brought that group over. Uh, the way I'm told through my grandmother and others is, is he kind of set up a deal where you guys can homestead this. This is your land as long as you provide enough for me and my family uh, to have. Well, as we go, it's yours. And, and so my dad's family, as long as I can remember, has been, they've been landowners. Uh, down there in that part of Texas, which which was rare, uh, and then my mom not. Uh, my mom come from a a, a, a a mom's family was, as she puts it, the poorest of poor. Mm. Um, you know, and, and she will tell you, you know, many times she heard that they weren't going to amount to anything. Her and her brothers. Uh, you know, she you see in the history books the pictures of the kids squirted down by the fire hoses you know mm-hmm. uh, she was one of those and, and so both of those were raised in kind of different mindsets different environments and I've always thought it was amazing that they raised children like me my brother and my sister who see things the way we do because my, my mom easily could have went down that road of hate and, and, and rightfully so because she experienced a lot of it but she never did. Uh, very, I would... very, very, very strong woman of faith. And, and, her, and again, we can go further. She could have been a statistic as we call it. Uh, she didn't have a consistent father figure around. Um, and, and so, and it was her, I think her, her five, six brothers and my grandmother. Uh, and, and so, and she's a, she's a principal now, you know, uh, got a brother that's a preacher, got one that's a fire chief, one that's a successful welder, you know, they made it. And, and maybe nowadays it would have been seen as a crutch of not to make it uh, or, or a because of our race. I guess it's what frustrates me about today, how people will blame so much on race and that they're held down because of race. When I see my mom's story uh, and I'm like, no, not the case, not saying she didn't get there as fast as she wanted to. But boy, she, she's accomplished great things coming from as low as you could get. What's interesting to me about that, and, and uh, don't let me put words in yours or their mouths, but when I hear that, Brandon, I think that maybe especially your mom's side of the family at some point would have had to make an intentional decision to either go either this way or that way with my life. And yeah. I, I wonder, and, and obviously you maybe even as parents, they had to intentionally decide that this is the path we want for Brandon and your siblings. But I wonder what that if there was ever a crossroads moment for them like that. 
the, the thing I could always see, and in, in my mom's side of the family, they, they are close-knit. They love each other, there for each other, but they're not big sharers. Yeah. We're not big talkers, but you just got to watch their actions. And, and her mother, uh, how she survived, I will not know other mm. than the grace of God, but she, she raised her children not to be excuse makers. Mm-hmm. And yes, the world might be this way right now, but you need to work your tail off. You need to bust your butt. You need to keep your head down and fight. And the grace of the good Lord will take hold. His plans for you will take hold and you'll find what you, what you're supposed to find. Um, and, and that's how I think she's gotten where she's gotten. And like dad's side of the family, you know, his mom, achieved her master's in math. So a black woman, master's in math in the 50s, 60s era. Not sure that happened a lot. That would have been uh, right in the heart of the civil rights movement when yeah. maybe, so when, maybe that you know, was... When they, tell me, when they tell me, you know, things were so bad, and I'm sure they were, you know, we didn't live in a, in a, a big city. There wasn't a... They didn't live in a Detroit or New York. Uh-huh. Maybe it was that way. But the country town they lived in... Um, she owned rental properties till the day she died. She owned a small apartment complex. She sold real estate. Uh, she was a county historian for different lawyers and things. Uh, my grandpa, on my dad's side, was a uh, construction worker and, we, and ran Brahmin cattle. So they tell me what all can't be done, and those times it was bad. But my family has continued to be an example of you don't make excuses. You don't use things as a crutch. You hold on to your faith, and good things will happen. Awesome story. I appreciate you sharing that. Let's fast forward a little bit. So your parents grew up in Texas, um, have been in Texas their whole life. You were raised in Texas, I assume. Yep. Okay. Compare and contrast that a little bit. You would have grown up, Brandon, what, in the 80s and 90s in Texas? Yep. Born in 83. I'm guessing it was a different life for you, but describe a little bit growing up in Texas as a black kid. What was it like and what was it like compared to your parents' experience? Um, for me, it was, it was great. I, n- I never wanted for anything. I, I never, uh, lacked anything. Uh, I played sports. I showed animals, whatever there was to be able to participate in. If I wanted to do it, I, I had the opportunity to do it. Um, and then probably in my little town, uh, we didn't have a whole lot of black kids in our little town. Now I say that and I can jump to, to my kids now, uh, there might be two and a half, three black kids, and I'll say two and a half because most of them are, are half. Okay. <laughs> uh, there. And, and, and so so they, they, they aren't around black kids, really, yeah. on a daily basis, uh, like I was, I was able to be around. And so, um, but it wasn't that different for me. Uh, we didn't necessarily live maybe in, a, in an all-black community. We, we lived a little bit outside of town. Uh-huh. And so I was surrounded by all races. And, and um, again, for me, it was fine. Now, I know there was people in my school, black kids in my school, that that maybe didn't enjoy it as much as I did. And I didn't know if that was a, a, a financial struggle, a home life, or, or what it may be. But it seemed like uh, maybe they had a little more hate or a little more resentment. Or, or were maybe less likely to go across races uh-huh. to, to associate with people uh, as what I was, and so I, I've always been. I've always been a stereotype breaker, and, and not intentionally. I think I was just the good Lord made me that way, and, and I just I always have been. And so, 
being different was never a problem for me. Being the only black doing what I was doing was never scary to me. You uh, is it fair to say you liked it? I mean, I've never um, sensed I, that you were uncomfortable in, in in any situation or crowd. I never thought about it in yeah. that situation. For me, you, you, Jake Scott, was just the same as me. For me, yeah. you and I could put our our life on paper, and there'd be a lot of similarities and intersections. Other than I'm black and a little younger, and you're a white guy. Yeah, you know, and, and quite a bit taller than I am. So a little bit. It's, it's, just, <laughs> it's just one of those deals of I. I never thought about it. And, and, and it goes back to a, a, a thing that I've gotten really into to studying here, Bible here lately. By the way, I love you and Clay's uh, podcast there. Thanks, man. Uh, I thought that was awesome. But, but uh, you know, you, you find the verse that says, you know, seeking you shall find, knocking their door shall be open. Uh, there in, in Matthew, I think it is. But I was studying that one day and it dawned on me uh, this phrase, if you seek or what you seek, you will find. And I, I thought about, you know, with all the race stuff that's going on right now, if you seek it, if you're looking for there to be a problem with the race, you're going to invent or find a situation that it exists. Or at least in your mind, you can justify the existence of it. And for me, I've never sought it. And so even if it was probably going on, it didn't hit me uh, as far as the way I grew up. And so I, I never worried about it at all that's a great comparison to make with that verse if you seek it you'll find it i've never considered it that way but um i don't think it matters if we're talking about race or uh, anything else i think if you want to be mad about something you can find something to be mad about if you look hard enough and it, it just seems like and again i'm not i'm not going to narrow this to just race but that seems to be an issue in our country right now it seems like everybody wants to have their thing to be mad about. Yep. Yeah, for, for, for sure. And, and again, I, I want to make, make this clear. This is my experience. I'm sure there could have been others that have gone through, yeah. through different, through different experiences, yeah. but, through, but through my eyes, uh, growing up in little town of Needville, Texas, it was, it was quite fine for me. Uh, you know, the only instance I can ever think of, uh, and this is my mom's mom, uh, man, she, she, she had a phobia of us going and like swimming and, and, you know, it's normal for little kids to go to a little swim party, you know, yeah. overnight swim party or something like that. And I remember, uh, I had to be like junior high, maybe or sixth grade or something. And, uh, best friend, I, he's wanting me to come over and go swimming. And, and I think we were at my grandmother's house and, she didn't know I could hear her, but boy, she was real adamant about, you know, that not being necessarily a good idea. And then and I finally got to ask my mom on the way home. It was like, you know, why didn't she want me to go over that kid's house and swim? And, and, and this goes back to what you experience sometimes makes up your mind on things, but she, she witnessed uh, a friend or someone who had, had, had gone a black kid gone to a swim party with the, some white guys and, and he didn't come back. Oh, and so that's ingrained in her mind. And in the era that she lived through, I totally understand why she, she felt that way. You can't blame her at all. Um, at all. And, and so it, it took me a minute to kind of get my head around that. And, and I, I'll, again, I'll give my mother credit because she lived through that same era. She decided to trust and, and she let me go on that, in, on that swimming party. And, and, 
you know, and it, it was fine. She, I think she knew it would be fine, but again, she didn't want to dishonor her mother and her own mother's wishes. Uh, but I think she kind of saw, hey, it's a little bit of a change in time. There's been progress made as well. We can do it just a little differently now. You've laid this out really nicely, Brandon, and I appreciate you, you giving us kind of a um, some personal background on your grandparents and your parents, but now you're the parent. Yep. And um, I think that's interesting to see with each generation, and, and a very fair point you made, this is specific to your family, and we know every family is different, especially in the black community, but we're, we're interviewing you, so this is what we're going to talk about. But in your family, there's been intentional choices to trust and to make progress because in in terms of, of again, if we're going to make this a black and white thing, both sides have to make choices to make progress. I mean, we both sure. have to agree to move forward. Yeah. And that's to me, that's a real interesting takeaway is how your family has been so deliberate and intentional about choosing to, to be part of, of solutions rather than, you know, clinging to, to old hatreds or something that justifiably they may have. Yep, for sure. So we talked about this a little bit earlier, too. I mean, fact is, again, and we're, we're being very straight here, but you're working in a business that's pretty well surrounded, surrounds you with white folks, and that's that's ag and that's cattle for whatever reason. I don't know why that is, but there's just a lot of white people in this in this business and, and good folks, but you're a standout in terms of, being uh, uh, one of the black guys and arguably maybe one of the most successful black guys that's in the business. But I just want to ask you, intentionally or unintentionally, have you ever felt any discrimination or racism in the cattle business? Um, no. You know, and I, again, I would, I would have to go back and jog my memory and, and think about it. You know, uh, I guess there was one, one incident, and I and I think it was more the he was he was angry more than he was just some kind of devout racist. But it was after a show, uh, there was a gentleman that was that was pretty he was pretty heated, and, and I'm the type after a show, you come ask me a question, um, I'm probably going to answer it, mm-hmm. and and I'm but I'm also going to be one of those if I feel it's starting to spiral, you're getting heated. I'm going to talk you down. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going to let us leave that conversation with you still in a rage. Like I, I guess I see it as I'm going to use what the good Lord gave me. And, and hopefully when you left that conversation, you felt his presence and not mine mm. uh, as you left. And, and so he was, he was pretty irate. He did not do as well as he thought he should have. And he was able to catch me that next day at that show. And, and, we had a very heated 30-minute conversation where he, he called me everything but a black man mm. uh, uh, on, on that deal. And and I just I sat there to, to – there were people around me. You could tell we're starting to get a little upset with him. And, and I held him off and, and by the end of the conversation, uh, not saying I changed his mind, but his tone was a little different. I think he gained a little respect from me. Because my choice was not to lash out at him and call him a racist. My choice was to teach this guy. Obviously, there's something that has spurned him. Obviously, there's something deep-rooted within him. 
instead of making it worse and escalated and making this a black and white issue, I'm going to help him. And I'm going to let him see that it does not have, his thought process does not have to be that way. Um, five years later, I see this gentleman at a sale. Uh, he apologized to me. Did he really? Just wholeheartedly apologized. And it just as sincere as can be. And, and it was one of those deals. like That had probably weighed on him. Yeah. You know, and, and I think had I have handled it different and mm-hmm. become quote unquote stereotypically angry black man mm-hmm. on that deal, it, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have ended the same way, mm-hmm. you know, and then it'd have been absent of God's love type of deal, mm-hmm. you know, so. Well, that that's an interesting story, and, and I'm glad to hear that it's pretty isolated. Honestly, when I, when I asked that question, I didn't know what your answer would be, but I'm glad to hear that, unfortunately, even though you've experienced some, it's not on a big scale. Is that fair to say? Yep. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Now, I know there's a world outside of agriculture, and there's a world outside of the cattle business, so I want to ask you about that world, you know, when you're when you're not around your, your folks, uh, you know, the cattle folks, the, the judging folks, when you're not around that type of, of environment, does the experience change for you? I mean, are there prejudices and discrimination that you deal with? Like, I'll give you an example. We hear a lot about this defund the police movement, and they're, they're accused with all kinds of problems. So do you ever feel any of that outside of agriculture? Um, no. Um. Uh... Again, I, I I just I don't experience it. Um, I I often feel for those folks who want to to do that because I just I don't think they're thinking. Um, do I believe there are some racial injustices going on? Yes, I do. Do mm-hmm. I believe it is isolated? Yes, I do. Uh, I think any race you get into, any people you get into, any job you get into, just anything in general. There's always going to be good and bad. But my thought is, and maybe it's just the optimist in me, when you step back, there's a lot less bad, uh, a, lot, a lot less bad than there are good. So you can find a lot of good, but we choose to isolate and glorify the bad for some reason. Um, so, yeah, like, do I wish all of it was stamped out? Sure. But we live in a, a sinful nation, a sinful society, it's not all going to be gone. It's, it's here. I mean, again, that's, I hate to make this a, a religious talk, but I kind of don't. I mean, that's why he died on the cross for us to save that kind of stuff. And just, you hope enough people come around to it. Well, I don't know that we can, and I want to get into this a little later, so I don't want to get too crazy in it right now, but you, you brought up a point. If you're not of the Christian faith, um, I believe as a Christian, that we do live in a fallen society. Ever since Eve and, and Adam chose to take a bite of the old apple there off the tree, we have lived in a fallen world. And the fact of the matter is, is that it's it's a um, flawed creation until Jesus comes back and sets it right. And it, that's a great point that you bring up. We may never make everything 100% right. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, start, I was just thinking here, there are two things probably that, that if it's if it happens to a person that maybe isn't as ground or, or that is seeking to find that hate, there's two things, and I joke about them all the time because I think they're funny. Okay. I, think coinc- I think it's coincidental. Um, 
but anytime and I think I think they're built they're based off of stereotypes so I'll put that out there as well but anytime I'm on the phone or I'm talking to somebody who does not know who they're talking to they will almost assume it's a white guy oh really almost <laughs> every, like I'll, I'll never forget uh, and I think I can tell this because him and I joke about it but my tire guy yeah um, I called him for like I was buying tires for trailers trucks whatever about the third time I called he still didn't know who it was. And then I showed up one day and he just started laughing. And uh, he goes, man, can I ask you a question? And I'm the type I, I, when somebody says that, I almost know what's coming. And, but I, but I want it to come because you asking that question, you're going to leave more educated. And he goes, uh, does anybody ever say you're a white guy just by hearing you on the phone? And I just started laughing. And I was like, you know, it, it happens often actually. Uh, <laughs> now some people will say, you know, that's sad. What are you saying about, you know, black people can't talk properly or something like that? I'm like, well, no, it's just where I grew up and how I grew up. That's how it was stressed. You talk, you, you talk in complete sentences. You, I'm not throwing my voice. It's just my voice. It's me. It's how I grew up doing things. Um, and so he always, it, 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 I, I get that a lot. Uh, or like, Somebody will call me, especially when I was in grad school, to judge a show. And it was right when I was starting to judge a lot of beef expos and things. And it would be funny. I would show up to the show or show up to the airport. Well, if I didn't have a cowboy hat on or look like I was headed to a stock show, they would wonder who the heck. The, in fact, I forget what show it was. I was sitting out beside the airport. I was looking at the vehicle that was supposed to pick me up. But they didn't realize I was going to the show. <laughs> I love that. And so it's one of, it was one, and like, I wasn't offended by it, not at all, because it goes back to that, I'm sorry, but you're just not expected. It's just funny. To me, yeah, to me, it's a, it's a, it's a coincidence, but it's not a problem. Um, and then I always tell them, you know, you, you want to see a funny thing is you walk a black guy that's short and round with a cowboy hat and a belt buckle on through an airport. With all those different nationalities, different cultures of people around there, you talk about necks breaking to try to take a double take to make sure they didn't see what they just saw, type of deal. I've been mistaken for Fred Whitfield twice. I think that is the biggest compliment ever. But it was like, you know, he's not the only black guy that wears a cowboy hat running around the earth, though. They're elbowing each other. Is that Fred Whitfield? <laughs> exactly. You've got to have some fun with that. You should sign some autographs. Hey. I that would be, you got to take advantage of it. I should. I was on the way back from one of those trips, and Tim and I actually ended up at the same airport. Oh, really? Uh, when I lived down there in Houston, because he lived there in Hockley, and I'd always fly into Intercontinental and would drive to College Station, but I kind of told him that, and he kind of chuckled. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it's one of those deals of, I again, I take it as it's funny. Uh, it does not offend me whatsoever, but I could see some that would be like, you know, the anger would come out. You know, why would you assume that? Or why would you look at me like that? And it's like, it's not that at all. It's very innocent, actually. Yeah. You know, it, it, it comes from a place of inquirement. It comes from a place of curiosity. Yeah. That's all it is. You know, I'm impressed can, as we just get more and more into this interview, um, how deeply you've thought about this. But I've always said in showmanship, this is going to be an odd comparison, but this is the first thing that popped in my mind. I've always said that one reason people struggle judging showmanship is that it's so hard to describe and articulate. Yep. You have to create your own terminology. But I'm impressed with how easily and comfortably you can articulate these things that you're feeling, not only you, but 
how you're able to empathize with those people, you know, they're just, it's a curiosity thing. It's not a, a rude thing or an angry thing. And um, that's, that's cool that you've gotten that far down the road in this, that, that you're able to do and teach and inform others about it. I, I'm really impressed with that. And, and you know, and, and, and back to your main question, have I ever felt any kind of racism? And, and, and this will be a little deep hitting for some that, that may listen, but like, I'll be honest, I've had more racist things thrown my way from black people than I have from any other, any whites or anything like that. So what do you mean uh, by that? I'll never forget fifth grade outside recess playing. Um, and I did not choose a kid. Uh, for we were, I was team captain of a football game. And I didn't choose this one kid. Happened to be a black kid, but he was a ball hawk, so I didn't choose him. Uh, <laughs> I wanted some team players. Uh, and he was athletically gifted. He was good. Well, he started calling me an Uncle Tom. Hmm. And I that's the first time I'd ever heard that comment, ever heard that phrase. So I went home and kind of asked my parents, and they didn't say much. Uh, all they said is, be who you are. God bless you the way you are. Uh, stay strong. Stay confident in who you are. And that's all they really ever really said about it. Uh, and again, I think that was their part of let's not develop a crutch. Let's not develop an excuse. You just be you. Um, well, as I got older, I kind of obviously got to know what that was. Um, and if somebody doesn't know what that means, Brandon, would you explain that? Yeah. So, so basically there was this book called Uncle Tom's Cabin. Uh, way back when, and it was written about a slave by a slave, and, and they would often refer to this guy as an Uncle Tom because, you know, whatever his master told him to do, he would do, and, and basically, he traveled a group of slaves down a river uh, from one master's place to, I think, his brother's place, and instead of veering off the path and taking those slaves to freedom, he did what he was told to do. Mm-hmm. And so and, that's uh, when you hear that somebody. So they associate, yeah, they associate that with a, a black person who necessarily doesn't prescribe to what I call a race baiting type or blaming everything on race or trying to make everything about race and, 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 is, and is willing to engage and, and do with others, I guess, is kind of more or less how I describe it. Yeah. Uh, and if you want a better description of it, I do highly recommend the the movie online on demand of Uncle Tom. I, I did buy that not too long ago. It, it's incredible. Mm. Uh, they do a very, very good job of explaining things in there. That kind of leads me to my next question, and you got into it a little bit maybe, but I'm, I'm going to ask it anyway. So, you know, we've talked a lot about your personal life and, and career experiences, but you mentioned like growing up with some kids, some black kids in your community or school. And you said that you sensed sometimes that they didn't see the world quite like you did, or they felt more, you know, maybe you sensed some anger for them or, or they felt more of a challenge because they were uh, black kids. So like, for instance, when you talk to that angry guy at the show and you kind of talked him down, do you have conversations with black friends who aren't in agriculture, they're in other professions and other walks of life. Do you guys relate on on these topics, like what you've shared with us today, or, or is your opinion like radically different than theirs? 
You know, as we've matured, as we've grown, uh, I keep in touch with several people back home. And and then some of them I don't keep in as much touch with, but it's it's been funny. You know, Facebook is can be just as big a blessing as it can be a curse. But I've had some of those friends back home that, that were black that maybe did not see things the way I saw them back in the day and, and they were a little more derogatory to me. <clears throat> see how things have unfolded. Thought I might be thinking was always pointed the way it was pointed. And there's now an appreciation for it because now they see me as I was actually being original mm. and not being somebody who buckled to peer, to peer pressure either way. Mm. And so now they realize it wasn't, a, it wasn't a stance of, I don't like you because you're black. I only hang out with white people or vice versa. It was, I'm me. And that's all the only person I can be is me. Um, and again, I don't say that from the standpoint of go live your own truth. That's a whole other podcast in itself. Uh, it's, it's one of those, God made me this way. I'm trying to live to honor him, but I'm also trying to live this, this directed life. I feel like he's geared me towards. And so that's why I make the decisions I make Mm -hmm. and do what I do Mm -hmm. type of deal. And so I get, and and there's a, there's a guy, uh, and I hope he doesn't mind me saying, but back home that we've been lifelong friends. He's been one of the few, um, from the beginning, uh, I think him and I have seen things a little more like. Now, he lived on the other side of town that was more so the black community, where most of the probably 90% of the black kids in our, our school lived. Uh, and he owns his own business now as well, took over the family business, actually. Uh, they make tombstones, but I, I talk to him once a month or so, and it's just, it's awesome to know. Uh, he tells me often that, man, you know, I, I, I didn't understand why you were doing what you were doing, but why are you involved in what you were involved in at the time? He goes, but I see it now. And, and it, it's made an impact and stuff. And so, no, it, it's been cool uh, to know that the Lord's blessed me to be an original, and, and I've been able to stay that way for quite a while. Yeah, very well put. Let's change gears and get on a little different topic here. And, and um because it is so topical right now, and, and I think it's what has sparked a lot of the tension that we have in America, I want to ask you, Brandon, while we have you on the podcast, about the death of George Floyd and the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, most all of us have saw the video of uh, the police in Minneapolis trying to arrest George Floyd. It ended up in his death. What was your reaction to that video, Brandon? Uh my reaction, my heart sunk, um, not only for his family, uh, but just in general, it, it, at the time, it was like, you know, in my eyes, we had made so much progress with this whole race thing. And then how that was spun, how it was put, and then what you could believe just from the video you saw, you're like, man, it's still out there. Uh, so it, either way, it's tragic. Like no one ever wants to lose a life that way. And especially catch it on camera uh, was kind of sad. But what came after that, uh, you know, when you hear the term Black Lives Matter, it should not bring up hate maybe within your heart or resentment. To me, the next thing I always said was all lives matter. Uh, Yes, I agree. Black lives do matter. But I think what's what's happened with that movement is it has been hijacked and it's gone from a place that was, I think, had a lot of purity to it, or, or at least a lot of 
oh, a lot of heart put in it to try to, to correct some of the racial injustices that maybe still are around in some of these big cities to it became a movement of disruption, a movement that that didn't deserve the name Black Lives Matter anymore, if that makes sense, because no longer was it about what that term said it was about. Um, now, I've always seen it differently. Obviously, in my household, it's all lives matter. I married a white woman. Um, and so we've never been on that threshold of one race is better or worse than the other because that's just not the way the good Lord made us. So for me, I've always almost been offended by the term Black Lives Matter because you're becoming a segregation. You're becoming a segregationist when you say that. You're saying that you only care about the life and care of one type of people, and that that's to me not right. So you brought up uh, your wife Kelly, and you said she's a white lady, and um, you have three children now. And the question I want to ask you is. You know, have they had questions about race that you've had to uh, explain things to them? Or have they felt anything discriminatory in their life growing up? No, uh, they haven't. Um, you know, when, when you and I talked about doing this, um, I, I just I asked my son. My, my son's a very mature-minded, strong-willed, but very opinionated kid. Is he and your oldest? I, yeah, he's my oldest. Uh-huh. And, and I just asked him point blank, has he ever experienced anything? And he gave me the craziest look. <laughs> and he's like, no, not at all. Um, and, and so he's never seen it. And, then, you know, I can't remember. And we might have had the news on. And, and I think some Oklahoma professor had gotten in trouble for reading a passage from a letter that had the N-word in it. And my daughter happened to be sitting there while we were watching the news, and she just asked, what's the N-word? And and it dawned on me, you know, I knew what that word was when I was her age. And, but I guess I almost had a sense of pride. Some people would say maybe, some people would say like, oh, well, you're not teaching your kids. But for me, it was like, yeah, I'm not teaching them what hate is. Like, I love that she did not even know what that word was. It was great. Never heard it before. And so... That told me, again, it just reiterates to me that we're a lot further down the road than what currently it is making us seem like we're not. What we're led to believe. Yeah, for sure. So you described, I think, really, really clearly your opinion of that Black Lives Matter movement. And I totally agree with you, Brandon, that I think in some ways it potentially is a wasted opportunity. It could have been used to even make more progress and more change. But it seems like, I think you used the word hijacked by some of these anarchists and and crazy you know, political belief people that tagged on the coattails, so to speak, and have almost shifted the focus away from what it originally, I think, was set out to be um, to something totally different now. I wonder, in your opinion, or if we had a chance to talk to your parents, how they might describe the differences in the movement that we see now with Black Lives Matter and the movement that they saw in the 50s and 60s with Martin Luther King. Well, I, I'm a historian, 
just I, I love history. I love looking back at things. And I used to always tell tell again off kilter joke that I was like, man, I was born in the wrong era. And they always ask what I said, man, I'd love to live in the late eighteen hundreds, despite my color deal. And and so people <laughs> just kind of chuckle a little bit uh, on that deal. But like to me, the movement then that Dr. King was instituting, and you can see, you know, I didn't live through it, but just from what we're told and what we're reported listen to it was it was peaceful first it was never about inciting violence you might boycott something but yeah that 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 ended up being a a way of showing that silent disapproval of how you've been treated but you weren't looting you you weren't trying to burn stuff down um you weren't trying to cause more division you just wanted simple equality um and and the way i look at it the where we're at now, there's a lot of things I think a guy like him would be proud of and feel very accomplished um, as far as, you know, the way we can get along if we decide to. Um, and then there's things that are, have been going on here recently that I, I personally think he would be very, very upset with of how away from his message that we become, but using his name to try to promote that violent message. Mm. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And it, I, from, again, my perspective, Brandon, it, it just seems like the way you described it, his was a peaceful movement, and we see so much violence associated with this. Yep. And uh, it's interesting to see how their actions are so different. But Well, here's a question that may not be a fair one, but I want to ask it. In terms of, I think you and I agree, there has been a lot of progress made from the story that you told us about your mom coming to Texas, your grandmother coming to Texas, her family essentially as slaves, your dad's family coming there as indentured servants. Uh, fast forward till today to where your kids didn't know what the N-word even meant until you had to explain it to them. Yep. Tremendous progress, just using those two examples. Is there a point insight where we finally get over the hump so to speak and we say okay black people and white people and brown people and yellow people the racism stuff is behind us do you ever see i mean i just want to like yell can't we all get along and i know that's that's making it so so simple but is there a point where ultimately we do have some some closure and some healing on this, or, or do we ever? Is that unrealistic? Optimistically, I hope so. But I was I, I was reading uh, the the first chapter of Micah uh, there in the Bible, and 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 it, it just so happened that we were talking today. It's like it's one of those deals. It's been around forever, Jake. Sin's been around forever, and, and as long as it's around, yeah, I think things will continue to get better. But I don't think it'll ever totally go away. I think there'll always be uh, somebody there that just has that, that hate in their heart for uh, another skin color or race. And it, it might change. It might end up not being black and white. It might be black versus brown or white versus brown at some point in time. But I, I think the, 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 the existence of sin will always entice it to be around. I just hope it gets to a level uh, to where it's pretty minimal. Uh, but that's that's going to involve us again 
breaking up our spoiled entitledness and in getting back into the good book and, and letting Christ back into the world wholeheartedly. Yeah. You know, a question I wanted to ask you, and you've you've done it so well, you've answered it so well already, is just what role, if any, and I think you've you've laid out that you think that there is, but what role does faith factor into a solution to this problem? One thing that you've said over and over and over in the conversation is faith. And you've pointed out how, if I'm hearing you correctly, you believe it's not so much of a race problem, perhaps as it is a sin problem. And, and hatred coming from a, just a point of sin in our lives and in our hearts. Um, it looks to me like a, a lot of your uh, beliefs and feelings are, are centered and justified and backed up by the Bible. So would you mind telling us a little more about the role that faith has, has played in your life and, and how you see it playing into solutions and the way that you're raising your kids and your family? I will forever uh, be indebted to my mom and dad for dragging me to church, for um, exposing me to, to that way of life. And, and, you know, people talk about privilege in this world. That was my privilege, was, was having parents who were able and, and willing to teach me what Jesus was about. And, and to go further, my wife's parents, same way. It's just, it's, it's, it's something that's ingrained. Um, it's something that's just thought about. I, I've got one witness to this story. Uh, Derek Connors knows old dorms and I think it was call hall, McLaren hall, whatever mm-hmm. it was, the old ones that they condemn now. Uh, I was sitting in a roommate's, uh, room talking on the phone. We didn't have good cell phones then. So we just had those room phones and me and that blonde haired girl I married the first time I talked to her, we talked for two hours and it was about cows and Jesus. And I told mm-hmm. him right there when I got off the phone, I think I met my wife and, and it's just one of those deals that's been ingrained in both of us. And so our kids have no choice, <laughs> but, to, but to like it and be around it, or at least be exposed to it where they can kind of form their opinion through their experiences, but know that their basis, their foundation needs to be rooted in the, in the Bible and what it says. And then I would encourage those too, and much like you and Clay touched on, I've always been pretty grounded and rooted in it, but until I really started reading and studying, I'm part of a men's group that we, we meet once a week on Zoom, and until I really started diving into the scripture, you really don't realize what it can do for your life and your mindset and how you handle things until you live in that book. Uh, so it's, it is my answer to every question. It is my, my go-to. If I've got a crutch in anything, it's the Bible of my faith. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Some people use that word as a crutch. And I thought about this the other day. I, I was listening to another um, a guy talk about a Bible study, but he said God's power is perfected in our weaknesses. And he was giving an example of how he breaks down strong people to show them that your real strength comes from him. And um, I'm okay with people. I, it used to really bother me. Jesse Ventura, the ex-wrestler and governor of Minnesota, he said that Christianity was a crutch for weak-minded people. And that really upset me when he said that. But as I actually learned from that, it doesn't upset me so much anymore because, in fact, it is right, but God wants to be the crutch. And one day we will all bow a knee 
no matter what our opinions are now. Exactly. And um, so, yeah, it's a, a crutch. It's it's a it's a weird word, but it's, it's probably true because um, that that is the true source of our strength and our power. Well, this is a great conversation, Brandon, and I appreciate you having it so much. But we're going to lighten it up just a little bit here. We've been doing a deep, deep, deep conversation, so let's change the mood just a little bit. We always end every one of these podcasts, Brandon, with a little segment that we call Stock Shows and Burritos. And this is the part where we invite our guests to tell us either an old war story and uh, a favorite, talk about a favorite show that you've judged or a favorite livestock event maybe you've taken the kids to. And then we're going to ask you, because we know you're so well-traveled, and you get to do so many things and go to so many places with the teams and, and judging these shows. We want to ask you about one of your favorite restaurants and get a good recommendation from you so that when we're traveling, we can say, hey, that's the place Brandon pointed out to us. But start out with that. Do you have a favorite show out there that you like to attend or maybe that you've judged or favorite memory? Uh, probably the, the one that, that will always – hit me and it's because of how it all went down would, would be Denver um, I was there helping Shockey with the judging team and he also took some Simmental cattle there so we we're going to be there all week and and he forgot to hire an associate for the steer show and he asked me did I have my clothes from the banquet I said yeah I got them he goes well you'll need them in the morning you're going to judge the steers with me so me being a market animal Texas kid I was on cloud nine already <laughs> And I thought, you know, associate, hold the clipboards because they give you some, some scanned figures and stuff. And you just walk around and soak it up. Well, second class comes, he hands the microphone to me. Oh, you're I up. Go, you? I go, what do you? He goes, hey, you ain't just going to stand here. Uh, I open my mouth. I say two words and I lost my breath. Like I, I, I could not talk. I, was, I, I had to stop and apologize to the crowd. And as I look back, I was like, you know, that moment right there, it, it spurred me. And, like, it just got everything going. And then you go back to Denver every year. It's just it's such a a collection of commercial breeders, show stock enthusiasts, club calf guys, breeding cattle guys. Just, it's it's everybody and anybody's there within that, that couple-week period. And so it'll always be a, a special one for me. Uh, and then also – I. I'm a sucker for a county fair. Um, to be able to teach on that level still, uh, I think that's where we make the most change now, to be honest with you, uh, is if we, we don't lose focus of a, how good and useful uh, a county fair can be. See, I think that's so cool, Brandon. And I've actually been criticized before um, for judging county fairs and not by – people showing there but people no, like I, maybe I a colleague saying man why you why you, you got such a big ego that you got to say yes to every show that comes along and my answer always is i have been to enough county fairs showed at enough county fairs where people judged it who weren't qualified wasn't capable they just you know people struggle at these county fairs to find good judges to come do it and i said i'm Every time I can say yes, I'm going to say yes to one of those. And not that I'm any better of a judge than anybody else, but I know that I'm going to go in there and do a good job for those people. And those kids deserve it because at a county level, Brandon, that's all the showing some kids get to experience. 
They don't get to go to their state show. They don't get to go to – I mean, that's it for them. So I want them to have the same great experiences that we all have that that get to do it on a bigger scale. Exactly. It's the heart of things, I think, the heart of showing. It's it's the gateway Uh, for those that might not even become, you know, big-time breeders, Krebs Ranch types that just – Got them exposed and got them in the right light. They became a lawyer, but guess what? They're big ag advocates now because they had a good county fair. You know, yeah, amen. It's 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 the heart of things in my mind. And don't feel bad about that, Denver. What year was that, Denver, where you and Scott got to do that? Uh, is either 07 or 08. I, I think it was uh, 08. Either 07 or 08. But yeah. man, I, I wish everyone could have that feeling when you walk into that ring and maybe for the first time and it really hits you as you look around that old Coliseum and those old chairs. It's, it is a little overwhelming, isn't it? Oh, it is. It is. I, the only thing, and I think it's just because of the proximity, uh, when I got to do the, the goat show at Houston, um, and that was, again, I, that was my home, my stomping grounds. That was like homecoming for you. Yeah, and, and my aunt who, who was fighting cancer, got to come watch. Like, that was a very, very emotional show for me. Very cool. So, are you a foodie like me and my family are here? I mean, we always say if we're going to get together with some friends, man, it's gonna we're going to throw down in the kitchen. We're going to have the grill on. We just love to get together and, and socialize and have a good time over food. So I want to pick your brain a little bit. When you're on the road, is there a place that you always try and hit up when you're traveling or a favorite restaurant that sticks out to you? Um, if you ask my judging kids, they'll tell you Texas Roadhouse or Cracker Barrel. Um, oh, talk but... to me about some Cracker Barrel now. <laughs> but if, 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 if you know... Um, I love steak. I still personally, you know, personal bias, best steak cook is cooked right down the road from my house. Where's that? A place called Ken's, Ken's Place, Amber, Ken's Oklahoma. Place. Amber, uh, Oklahoma. It is amazing. That's a new one to me. Amazing. Yeah, it, it is. It's good. You, you're just as soon find the oldest rancher in the county or, or the governor's best friend or some legislature in there later in there, uh, on any time. It's, it's a good place. Good, good food. It's pretty uh, well known though in the neighborhood. That's the, that's oh, a yeah. good steak for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm a big, big barbecue guy though. So, uh, Cooper's barbecue. Anytime I'm passing through Fort Worth, I usually stop and get the family pack. Come on. <laughs> on my way home from the Fort Worth stop show because it's only two and a half hours from home, so it'll last. Uh, What's your go-to? Are you a beef guy, pork guy, ribs, brisket? I, brisket and Texas sausage. If I can get the Texas-style smoke pole of sausage and brisket, I'm good to go. Uh, I'm getting hungry talking about this. Good to go. And then I, I, being a judging coach, I don't know why all of those judging coaches got on this kick, but this is my first year I didn't get to have Papa Do's. Oh, okay. And it, and it, and it, you know, we went there on our team now that you say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is a judging thing now that you say it. Oh, man. Just give me the, the shrimp or the uh, crawfish trio. I'm, I'm good to go. I don't know that I have been to a Papa Do's since I was on the judging team, if you want to know the truth. So, I'm gonna okay, I'm going to have to put that back on the list. We're going to have to get back into some Papa Do's. It's, it's pricey, but, boy, it's worth it if you just go once a year. Yeah, maybe that's the reason. Well, very cool, Brandon. Man. We're going to wrap this thing up, but again, I want to say thanks so much for being on the show. I want to go ahead and uh, maybe give a special shout out to Jerry McPeak, who 
is uh, doing the introduction for this show and, and kind of setting up our conversation a little bit. Thank you for being willing to do that. Uh, Brandon, we're going to see you a lot. I mean, obviously, you're, you're staying really busy and even getting busier at Redlands. We know you're going to be judging more, but if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that, either to get involved with the school and the program you have there or to talk to you about doing some judging? How do they reach out to you? Well, first of all, happy birthday to you. Thank you, man. 44 years old today. I kind of feel like two 22-year-olds. That's the, that, I'm going to identify as two 22-year-olds. <laughs> For sure. But, um, you know, uh, we're on social media. We've got a Redlands Ag Facebook or my own personal Facebook. But really, the, the easiest way, I'm old school. i got a phone number, uh, 979-204-1265. Uh, it works. It, it takes messages. It takes text messages. So I, I'm, and it's on me at almost all times. So uh, that's the easiest way to get a hold of me for, for Redlands questions. Uh, we, we love what we got going there. And then also our own personal cattle deal here at BKC Livestock, me and my wife operate. So a lot of stuff going, but we, we're blessed to be busy. Busy is good, isn't it? Yep. Very, very nice. Well, listen, in all of our uh, daily lives, we hope at the end of the day we did something that kind of mattered. And um, I guess as we wrap this up, I feel that this is a great, great conversation. And I want you to know personally, and I hope there's some people in the audience that can identify, but this has been really good for me. Really, really healthy to just get to have an honest conversation. Um, I appreciate your openness and your candid and being so forthcoming with your answers. And I also, Brandon, appreciate you letting me ask you very forward and straight forward questions that you know, I've always felt awkward about asking before or uncomfortable about asking. So it's been a huge help to me. And hopefully there's a ripple effect, you know, that comes from our conversation. But uh, I admire you even more for having the guts to, to come on and have this conversation. And um, I admire you so much for how uh, much thought and um, attention you've given this and how well you're able to articulate it and describe it. Uh, to all of us here on the Cattle Pros Podcast. So, man, bottom of my heart, thank you very much. Man, thank you, and, and thank you for the direction that you're, you're taking things with this. It's been it's pretty cool to listen to. Cool. Proud to have you listening, and we look forward to talking to you again on here, okay? All righty. All right, sounds good. <laughs>